Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Practical Guitarist, or on Twitter as at Practical Guitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com. And donate to us via Patreon, available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hi, Jim. Hi, David. I'm going to rock this episode tonight. How are you doing? I am uh, a little sad for one of our members. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to take... Uh, just a moment of silence. Um, one of our members, uh, a family friend, um, has passed away along with their whole, uh, the wife, husband, everybody, a um, uh, whole party of people. Um, they were in a limousine in upstate New York, very small town. And uh, 20 people have been uh, killed in this in this crash. So if we could just take a short uh, few seconds of silence to. Um, Remember them. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Um, if that, that wasn't a minute, I'm I'm terrible because I'm like a I've been told I'm like a dog. I have no sense of time. It it was listen, I mean, um any any tragic event like that, just to take a few moments to like kind of reflect on you know, lives that were lost, even if you're not connected to them, uh, to show support for the people that are involved in those situations is always helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah, so. So. All right. So uh, let's get on to a, a much happier and less, uh, less heated topic. Tone. Yeah. Uh, Where is tone? Jim. Where does tone exist? Jim, I don't, I don't think we should talk about this. Yes, we should. Because because religion and politics are too hot to be topics. This is the, this is the religion and politics of guitar. Anyone, to, anyone to, who plays guitar and has been on the internet in, 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 in like these forums in the last 10 years, you have seen it, it, this argument and you have seen it collapse and people just turn on each other and memes come out and then it gets ugly. And then I'm just sitting there with the Michael Jackson popcorn meme, you know, eating popcorn and yep. thriller. Because yep. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I'm going to say this. So, so the the of course the person that brought this up, um, well, Nick 
Nick Bongers, thank you to uh, Nick Bongers of Great Lakes Pickups, um, uh, posted this in our guitar group. It's, it's what's that? Great Lakes guitar pickups. Great Lakes guitar not, not, pickups. That's not right. Pickup if trucks. You, <laughs> if you say Great Lakes guitar pick, or I mean Great Lakes pickups, you'll find a lot of guitars and um, the ability to get rid of your trash. So it's Great Lakes mm. guitar pickups. Um, uh, the um, article is from Ultimate Guitar, and uh, it's Joe Bonamassa, and he's never said anything that caused uh, people no. to go crazy. No, I, we uh, one of our highest rated episodes doesn't have anything to do with Joe Bonamassa. Nothing to do with him. So I'm going to give a quick sweep of of it because I honestly you didn't look it over. Agree with it. Oh, well, I'm going to sweep it. I'm going to sweep it right under the rug so we don't have to have uh, me, everybody fighting in the group. I told Jim before we did this episode that, that next week's episode will cover all the hate mail we get for this one. And, and we will be w- willing to read them. So here's the thing. The guitarist, obviously Joe Bonamassa, said, if you purchase a new guitar, the worst thing you can do, if you like it at the store, on eBay or Reverb, where you got it, um, the guy at McDonald's, whatever. If you liked the guitar initially, I would be very hesitant to immediately get it home, strip it, and go, I'm going to put so-and-so saddles because the internet told me they're better than the original. I'm going to put compensated this because the internet told me. I would be very leery of putting all that money into it because you may or may not get your desired result. What, what, this, inter- what this is saying is you get, you get um, food. We've talked about this before. Get food, you instantly put salt on it because you always put salt on that food, even though you haven't even tried it. You put salt on it. So I know, and I have high cholesterol and stuff, so I'm trying to watch my salt intake. Yeah. The <laughs> the point is, you're making a change to something you haven't even tried. Whether it's, it, and he's even saying, you know, you <clears throat> you don't you don't need to spend two hundred thousand dollars on a Les Paul. Spend four hundred dollars on an Epiphone. Try it first. See if you like it. If you don't like it, then modify it. That's all he's saying in the whole article. But man, people just bleeding. Their, their, there's yeah. people cutting cutting their wrists and letting the blood flow onto it to in um, in protest. Um, Guys, because they just they're running just, for the Supreme Court. Everybody's still fucking pissed off because Joe Bonamassa said that that people who use too many pedals suck, or whatever the hell he said. Well, I think what he's saying is, all right, you buy the guitar, you don't even try it. You run out, you buy all the parts that you think are going to make the guitar that you haven't even tried better. I have a special, you, I have a special report, Jim. Joe, <laughs> yep, this special report. Joe Bonamassa is now moving. He has just acquired property underneath a bridge because he's a fucking troll. <laughs> and you're going to have to, you're going to have to pay $25 to cross the bridge. What is your favorite color? <laughs> so, African or European? Anyway, moving African on. African or European? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um. So, again, this is really clickbait because he's not saying anything negative. He's just saying, "Give peace a chance." You know. I mean, all right. Let's let's go to your guitar that you you recently purchased that you've been upgrading since you got it. Which one, Shangzhi? Um, the Shangzhi. So yes, you got it. You had to do certain things to upgrade it because the tuners weren't going to tune the guitar. They had to go. They were not functional. Correct. The pickups were way too microphonic, but you didn't just change them. You tried them. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I was hoping I could make them work and that wasn't happening. 
Um, but yeah, so I mean, anybody who anybody who buys a guitar, when you go to the store and you sit down and you play it, let's say let's say let's let's put ourselves in in Jim and David's shoes. We go to the store, we pick up a guitar, we play it, we like the way it sounds. Right. I don't get home and immediately jump on the internet and go, "How do I improve this?" Because I like the way right. it sounds. Like I don't have to mess with it. If right. I now there are many guitars in my past where I have said I need a hum single single configuration, and all I can find is three. You know, a Stratocaster with three single coils. So I'll buy this guitar and I will upgrade the bridge pickup. Like I, right. I've been in that not exact that exact situation, but I've been in that situation before, and I think, um. I think anybody who is kind of of that mind um, is going to be, you know, looking at this is a project. I know that that's going to be part of the cost of the guitar. Like, for example, I'm, I've been planning for the um, GearFest trip, and, like, I wanted to ask my rep, if I buy a guitar on site, can I have them mod it in their shop before I go home? Right. Like, that's the kind of stuff that cause, – because for me, I, I – I'm buying that guitar with a purpose to do something. I don't buy it and then kind of explore through it. And I know there are guys that do that and that's fine. Um, I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money. Um, but the, the joke was made in the group and I, and I think I actually said the exact comment to somebody who I believe is um, Steve who from 60 cycle hum who said, um, you know, I'm going to buy a $300 guitar and put a thousand dollars worth of parts in it. Well, that's why I laugh. Cause I'm like, only if you're going to play it the rest of your life. I mean, you know, don't expect right. that that's going to do anything for you value-wise. And that, honestly, I think you will end up with a good guitar if you do that. Um, my Strat, I, I got that white Jimmy Vaughn Strat that's going to get upgraded, and I might make that some show content for, for us. Um, that's a guitar that if, you know, if I left it stock, I don't like it the way it is now, but if I if I make some modifications that could carry me through for another 15 years if it's, if it set up the right way for what I need. Well, yeah. And we've talked about that. I've been um, discussing getting a strat and do I get a strat and upgrade it or anything? And, and the first thing I'd get though, is I'd have to sit down. Like we discussed last week, I'd have to play 40 or 50 of them. Yeah. You feel well and you figure out what's not working and what is working. And that's, and that's the main thing. Joe Bonamassa saying the same thing as you and I would say, which is sit down with it, play it, Find out what isn't working. Swap that out. That's right. practical. So, um, Mike Hogg, I hope I don't mispronounce your name, Mike. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong. Send him Mike some hate mail. We'll read it next week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he brought up a good point. Um, his point number two was, uh, going back to the headline, I think that many folks lose sight of the foundations of their tone. I'm very much a gearhead, and I love to tweak, explore, and really do love my pedals. But I do feel it's very important to connect with my own sound and then connect with um, and the connection my playing has with just the amp and uh, the guitar and the amp. On the same point, I see many people buy an instrument or some other piece of equipment and they've spent little to no time with, and they've already had plans to change it. We all do, myself included. The issue is that many folks are, pro- are prematurely mod-minded. That would that could be modifying an instrument, a piece of equipment, or some aspect of their setup. The assumption ahead of the actual purchase or soon after it is that the item or um, setup is either not good enough as it is or that it will change and make it better. Mm -hmm. In some cases, there is often room for improvement, but the plan changes are not always the right ones. Take the time to know your gear very deeply, how it responds to you, 
and how the different uh, pieces of, ge- of gear respond to each other. He just he just reiterated what the article said. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to say this. I'm, I'm just as guilty. Good Lord, am I just as guilty. I, I see a new piece of gear and it's like a bright, shiny new penny. I have to have that yeah. one because I think my old one isn't as good. But they both spend the same. And, you know, I'm I'm getting to where I'm I'm comfortable. I need a wah pedal only because of what I'm doing for the disco sound. I have to have that right, wah right, thing. Right. Um, and possibly a Qtron Ottawa thing, but because um, uh, I I don't really know if I want an actual I'd, pedal, but maybe Jim, just a Ottawa. You want to talk but, about Wasp, the Boss AW3 is really good. I had one. Yep. I highly recommend the Boss AW3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the one I think I'm going to look at. So I'm going to I'm going to compare um, that with the full tone and the Crybaby and see where I go. Yeah, you're but, still um, going to need a regular Wah, but the because they're they're really a different sound. But the, the AW3 yeah. is a really really good Ottawa. Oh, that's the Ottawa. Yeah, that yeah. I need something good like that because sometimes you just got to have that. And it does it and in I, spades. And I don't need my calf to be. You can even make it. You can even make a tap tempo. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you'll like it. Nice. So anyway, um, getting to this, you know, we think that that um, we we talked about um, the the parts. We're talking about having a T-shirt done, folks, and I'm I'm hoping we get some interest in this, where we're going to do like the food pyramid. Only we're going the, to do the tone pyramid, the hierarchy of tone, which is something that I had mentioned in a previous episode. Right, not to so, chew my own horn so much. Right, so we're going to look to do like like that. Try to get somebody to do some artwork with us, um, and do the tone pyramid, the pyramid of tone, so that you can you can say, oh yeah, you know what, because really your speaker, your amplifier. And then, you know, your pedals and so on and so forth. So <clears throat> in all reality, um, you know, I, I'm thinking about, uh, obviously, I need to get a strap. And I'm thinking about getting on the Epiphone just to have to change pickups out every now and again, which yeah. I may have to do a lot very shortly. Yeah. Those of you listening, yeah, you'll, you'll <laughs> hear about as time goes on. But I will have to pay, change my pickups more, more and more. So there is a, um, uh, there's a need that's driving that. Jim, if if that comes to fruition, if you have to get an Epiphone, I'm going to buy one of them shitty G400s. <laughs> I, I, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I might buy a freaking G400 because I get it for nothing. I get it for no money. That could be a mule for the show because yes, it's, it's a full pick guard. All yep. right, go on. <laughs> so anyway, um, that, that, now you're taking my idea. <laughs> I was just going to get a crappy little G400. Oh, that's um, great. So, <laughs> yeah. Which will be um, purchased just to change pickups out. So that, but you'll, you'll see why that is later. Yep. Um, so that's not for us and our tone thing. And it's not breaking any rules. No, no, no. no, no, no. Because it's, it's for, um, it's just for shit. You really think I want to play a G400? Has anybody heard me talk about the G400 on this show before? If you have, you know, I don't want to play that fucking thing. If you haven't, um, let's just say that, that, David would rather have you shove it up his rear end than play it, but no, he's got to no, <laughs> no. Okay, smack him upside the head with it. I, no, <laughs> I'd rather wow. you grind so it. Into, grind it into, no, I'd rather you grind it into mush and feed it to me in my Wheaties. Like, <laughs> oh, there you go. Anyway, mm, toxic. So, so is so that's a that's a great thing, and I and I 
this, uh, this post is getting a lot of traction. So folks, you know, where is your tone? You know, is it in your fingers? Is it in your guitar? We're talking about your year of of no gear. How, what have you learned as you've been pumping along in the year of no gear? Tone is in my brain. Mm -hmm. I'm (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm about to say something that's going to make me sound like like a total ass hat, but I'm going to say it anyway. Tone is in my ball sack. (laughs) Okay. No, all right, so in all honesty, all right, mean? all right. Let me let me back up here. So we're so now we're traversing the minefield, right? This is right. the this is the question that gets people fucking angry as hell on the internet, and it goes. Along, there, there's like a couple of guitar related questions. Tonewood, that's that's the other one. That's <laughs> the other one. Um, but this one in particular, tone is in the fingers. Look. Let's let's back up. Let let's let's talk about why why this is a minefield, and then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna present to you my argument. And, and then, then I'll present. And mine. then no, you won't have one. There oh. will be there will be nothing left to argue with, Jim. <laughs> when I'm done decimating this, the, the battlefield will be clear. Um, so this is an argument because look, everybody has heard some famous player insert famous asshole here. I'm player here plugged into somebody else's rig that still sounds like them. Right. And everybody's got their little anecdotal story. I saw Eric Clapton plug into a, you know, a 10 watt solid state gorilla or something. And it still started like Eric Clapton. Well, no fucking duh. I saw Eric Johnson plug into Zach Wilde's gear. And it sounded just like Eric Johnson, which actually it was Eric Johnson playing Zach Wilde's guitar through his setup. That's that's the funny Through part. Eric of that Johnson video. setup. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. So here, let me let me let me drop. I'm gonna drop some truth bombs on you. <laughs> I'm getting so fucking like <laughs> I don't know what is wrong with me tonight. I watched Crazy. the fight. I watched the fight last night, and I'm just I'm ready to go, man. All right. So um, say the truth, David. Say yeah, it. I'm 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 gonna say it. Uh, I'll say it. I need to center myself. I need to focus. <laughs> I need to achieve. <laughs> I am special. <laughs> I am a special snowflake. No. Um, so, man, like, it just gets me because, all right, so tone. We we as guitar players, we have our own slang. We have our own musical terminology that is separate from the rest of the world. All right? So any other instrument, you talk to a violinist, when you talk about tone, they're like, I'm not really sure exactly what you're referring to. You mean timbre? Right. So that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about the characteristic envelope of attack and articulation in addition to um, like the EQ curve and all that, that different stuff that goes on in the in the synthesis of a sound. Um, and I don't mean synthesis in the sense of like making a sound from scratch, but, you know, in, in the, the waveform that a sound produces. OK, when you get down to the basic acoustic science level. But. That's the difference, okay? So when Eddie Van Halen plugs into some asshole's Fender Twin with a with a super distortion out front, and he's got his, you know, he's got that guy's uh, single coil equipped guitar, and he's doing all the tapping, and he's sliding around, and he's playing like, you know, uh, Top Jimmy or something, everybody goes, that still sounds like Eddie Van Halen. Because Eddie Van Halen's technique allows him to get at least half, if not more, 
of what he normally gets from his existing rig. And that's what it boils down to. We talk about timbre, but what we're really talking, not timbre, we talk about tone, and what we're really talking about is technique half the time. Not just, hey, you know, this is the sound that that instrument produces. And I think part of it's because um, guitar players, I, I mean, electric guitar, acoustic guitar, stringed instruments in general are the most expressive instruments there are because there's so much opportunity for articulation and to make the instrument do things that you're not used to doing. So the reason why why I clarify that is because if you take a trumpet, um, yes, a player does have some impact on the timbre of a trumpet. It's not the same thing, though. Not at all. It's largely determined by the instrument. Very loosely determined by things like microphone placement in a, in a studio recording. And also very loosely determined by musculature, uh, amount of air you're pushing through the instrument, um, whether the valves are clean or not, whether you have just released all the spit from the instrument, which if you've ever been in a, in a band situation with horns, you can hear that inside the instrument. Um, I, you're not going to hear it on recordings because they do make sure they're drained. But in a live performance, if they can't, if they don't have time, you can hear it. By the way, you can hear my cats fighting in the background behind me, probably. Um, that's my point. I, I, I want, and, I, and I've said this in this argument in a dozen different places, and now I've sworn off having this conversation with, with people on the internet because it just ends up in a pissing match, and, and people get so like, this is, I'm right, I'm wrong, or you're wrong, I'm right, and nobody can change my opinion. And it's like, no, you're not right. Go ask every other fucking musician out there that doesn't play guitar, and they'll tell you you're not right. Do you think keyboard players debate this? The keyboard determines the timbre. The keyboard itself. And I'm talking about whether it's an organ, whether it's a piano. I'm not saying piano to piano they don't sound different. That's why a lot of places choose to use Yamaha, because they're consistent. Um, but But I am saying that the pianist does not control the tone of a piano. It's hammers, okay? Hammers hitting a string. I don't care how hard they're beating on that damn thing. It's not going to change the sound of the soundboard and all the different things that are inside that piano that produce the sound. Now, that's where I'm at. Where I'm at. I'm not saying that technique does not largely determine the personality of a person behind an instrument. So that, in that sense, I think when we as guitar players use the word tone, we're talking about personality, right? Which is a summation of timbre. And technique. That's it. I'm done. Said enough. I think everybody can kind of infer where I'm going with this. Right? Jim, Jim, have I been successful? He's looking at me funny. I, I was on mute. Yeah. Yes. Good. And you, you know what? Just you, shut stole, up. you stole my, you did, you were right. You stole what I was going to, my point was going to be this. The, um, the player is still going to be the player. Doesn't matter what you hand them. Um, the the quote unquote timbre of the instrument is going to come through based on the gear. But for the most part, and most of our tone, oh, I, I is think I think there our is style a, of playing. There is a very very minute amount of like the flesh from your fingers and the way that that sounds that comes through. Yep. And there's also 
the way you use your pick, the way you hold your pick, the way you strike the strings, what pick you use, or whether you use a pick or fingers, those things all do have um, an impact. But I'm just saying that's not that's technique. That's something you control by the way you do it. Not so much. Not so much what you're doing. You know what you're using, but the way you do it. So you have some control. Yeah, I'm going to take this out of the guitar um, community for just a second. You took it to keyboards. I'm going to take it to vocals. So if you take vocalists, um, you think a vocalist that walks up to a microphone um, and sings, uh, and they they use an SM58, or then they use a this microphone, and they use that microphone, come out this PA type, PA type. They're still going to Freddie Mercury sounded like Freddie Mercury. No matter what he tried to do, the fact is that when you're singing. There are little things, and it's easier, I think, for us to, to comprehend when we look at it this way, about the facial mask, about your nose, the size of, the size of your nose, the size of the mask behind yep. your eyeballs, the flesh that's back there, um, how you project, which part of your, your um, abdomen or your chest, are you singing from your chest or you're singing from your abdomen, um, how open and round is your voice, um, how closed is it, what, how long is your tongue? And how do I, how do you formulate letters when you um, announce them or um, pronounce them uh, while you're singing? This can be very different, as you probably have seen with people that sing and talk, and it's like, well, that person doesn't sound anything like they do when they talk. So the last thing you should ever do is judge a person's singing voice by their talking voice. Um, but the point I'm making is all of those things come together, and your mouth becomes your speaker. Um, but the very, the, the thing that actually makes noise for your voice, the thing that causes all those tones are the smallest muscles inside your throat. They're the size of your eyelashes that are yep. vibrating at high speed. Mm-hmm. So don't, um, it, you know, again, you're trying to say, okay, if I change my strings, it's going to make this huge change in my tone. Well, not really. I mean, and that's the, it's the whole package. And we get to that, that whole pyramid of tone, you know, we've all got those little, those little, um, muscles inside our throats. So what is it or inside of our larynx, actually, what is it that is, um, that it makes up the way we sound? Why does, why does, um, David's voice sound different from mine? If we're still both using these small little muscles. It's because of the way it's coming through and the rest of the way and through the rest of the, um, the rest of the head. Mm-hmm. Just saying, just saying. So no matter how much you try to sound like um, Arnel Pena, people say, Oh, he sounds just like Steve Perry. No, he doesn't. He sounds much like Steve Perry. He does not sound just like Steve Perry. And it, it, no amount of, of special effects and, EQ and vocal surgery. Uh, <laughs> right. We'll change that. Um, in other news, I'm thinking of talking to a plastic surgeon about getting collagen implants for my fingertips so that I can change the tone of my actual fingertips. No, I'm kidding. That's what I- <laughs> uh, Wouldn't it be funny though? Like if somebody was actually going to do that now, yeah. there, there was, a, there's a long lost episode from this show that will never see the light of day. And there was an interesting conversation that I think kind of plays into this idea of like surgically modifying yourself. 
for for things, and that is, um, what if you could do gene therapy, and you could go and say get the genes from Eddie Van Halen. Uh, I don't know how you would obtain them, and then go to your guy and say, "All right, so I want to change my fingers to have the same chemical composition as Eddie Van Halen," and you take some pills over a period of like six months, and then by the end of it, you're going to have the same callus patterns, and you're going to have the same calluses, and and all of that. You're still not going to sound like him. No. Because you don't have the technique. No. He pushes down a different way. He bends up a different way. He he uses his vibrato arm a different way. Everything that Eddie Van Halen does, or any guitar player, insert guitar player it's, name it's here, is Yeah. And and there's nothing they can't undo that any more than you can do that. You can do your best to sound like it and do your best to to get close, but you're never going to be exact ever. And you just have to accept that. You will. Um, I think that the thing that that Joe Bonamassa said in that article that hits the hardest is if you're chasing a tone that you hear in your head, it's the wrong way to go. You need to get your head wrapped around the tone you're getting out of out of your out of your fingers yeah so while we're gracing topics from the facebook group i want to um clarify some comments that were made on the behemoth ad in the last episode yes i saw some people kind of jump me and uh my comment about (laughs) behemoth and i and i actually took some time to do some google image searching after the episode right my comment about behemoth and their current marketing for their whatever their record it is right now um which we couldn't read because their font was like what the fuck was that um it was ridiculous uh the reason why i brought it up look i wasn't making i wasn't making light of the fact that they were doing an anti-christian thing like every metal band does that that's yeah, not that's, surprising that's, i mean that's you been the thing last since week's south park by the way, <laughs> that's that's been a thing since, you know, Black Sabbath, even though Black Sabbath admitted that it was all fun and games and like they really are all Christian um, to some extent. I think I mean, that that's basically what's come out like Ozzy's like, no, I, I, I have deep respect for God and stuff like that. Um, right. My my point is that um, in their marketing, they use the image of the in, you know, the inversion of the pope, the black pope. Right. Right. Um, and that is very much been the domain lately uh, and dominant marketing strategy behind the band Ghost. Right. right. And like I've seen there. OK, so in doing my Google image search after they I have to get kind of called out, I, I want to clarify. Look, yes, they've used lots of satanic imagery before cults, um, demons like like the Nurgle and all that stuff with the um, the horns and and. Uh, various you know images like that but i don't think they ever got to the point where they were like doing the gothic church imagery so much as they did in this ad and i i'm fine with that look they're very very different bands and the people that are listening to behemoth are not necessarily the same people that are listening to ghost like ghost is actually to me has a very mainstream sound to it um where behemoth is balls to the wall, you know, grindy metal. And uh, you have to be a certain kind of person to be able to stomach behemoth. Um, That's fine. 
Like, I wasn't trying to disrespect anyone. I know there are Behemoth fans that also follow the show. Like, I, there was no disrespect made at all. I was just merely commenting on the fact that it seems like the marketing in metal, specifically with these things like fonts, is like everybody gets on a bandwagon and then they all go down that path. And it's really strange because even like for a while there in the 90s, all the logos and marketing for, for some of these metal bands were like these fancy font logos. Um, is that the current Ghost? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Ghost, um, uh, just to give you an idea. Their new album has come out. It's it's actually very good. I would yeah, recommend so. it. If anybody's exploring Ghost, you're looking for some Halloween music. Uh, their new album is really, really good. And what have you? What do you see for an image? This was August of 2018 issue, so it would have come out in June. And we've got the black. Uh, actually, that's um, Cardinal Copia. Hope thing, yeah, that, yeah, but it's the same kind of idea, like inverted clergy, Cardinal Copia. Yeah, it, yeah, you're right. It's inverted clergy, and they're and they're doing the whole thing. Matter of fact, they've got another shot where they invert the entire clergy, and then they put almost a pinhead guy. In the background there. Oh no, that's their so, no, that's the normal uh, demon look for the rest of the band. Yeah, because they put it. They, so uh, I'm not a follower. So uh, all just, right, so let's do a little ghost trivia. So ghost is actually um, Tobias Forge. Tobias Forge. That is yep. ghost. No, that is that's ghost. What I said. All right, Tobias Forge. Meaning, meaning he's he, the he's the singer, songwriter, and multi instrumentalist. And and this came out because of a court case where. The previous band members, after being terminated, are released from their contract. Um, they were apparently being paid a salary. They got mad. They sued because they wanted they wanted uh, payment, I think, for a tour. And he was like, well, you were salaried. That's not how this works. And so yep. they ended up going to court, which caused the band to be unmasked, which actually probably damaged some of their, mis- their mystique, which the was mystique. behind their marketing. Um, yep. And Tobias Forge has just come out with this new record. Um and it's for me, at least it's silenced a lot of the people that were like, you know, ghost is nothing without the original members. I don't think any of those guys were ever on record nope. to be honest with you. And, he, and in here, he says my whole life, my family's lives, we were all so invested in this and have sacrificed so much and are depending on this. Why would I sacrifice that for a bunch of fuck ups? That's what he called the guys that he got rid of. This whole article is about that. Yeah, he. I think there, there's album. probably somewhere in there because I know I've read some of the court documents, and there's there's somewhere in there where he actually says something the equivalent of it's either in that article, court documents, or another interview where he says like I tried my ass off to make those guys happy, and I actually wanted to include them in the decision making process and actually in the songwriting and recording process, but every time we we went to go sit at the table, it was like pulling teeth, and it was their way or nothing, and so. He did what he had to do. He took control of the band. Um, this right. is not the first time we've seen one man band situation. No, so, I mean, if you look at it, if you look at the one man band situations, obviously Prince did it. Um, and was very uh, Lenny, successful at it for a number of years. Yeah, yeah. Lenny Kravitz did it. Um, you know, Aldo Nova did it. I mean, when it's Sign of the Times is all is all Prince. Yeah, I think that's the, the record his that he first did. Album, his first album was all him, too. I, I thought I no I thought that was I thought the the uh record label forced him to have studio players on there. I thought that I thought that that's why he waited till he was 18. I'd have to go back and reread yeah, it. Yeah, I I know you might be right. You but might I know be right. He said he said something about the fact that he wasn't 18 when he first started the thing and they they were forcing him to 
He had to bring in another producer. He had to bring in an engineer. Yeah, he, had to yeah, bring in yeah. he said, screw you. I'll wait until I'm 18. Then I can own the rights. And then he went in and did it. Yeah. I think that's probably accurate. Um, okay. Otherwise he would have started at like 16 or 17. Anyway. So let's wrap up this Tony's in the fingers discussion. I know we've gotten off track. We're talking about ghosts. Tony's in the fingers there. period. End of discussion. No, it's fucking not <laughs> in the fingers. I think we've established at this point. Look, what? Wait a minute. That phrase, that fucking phrase, Tony's in the fingers needs to die. It, 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 I, it's just like the most archaic thing I've ever heard. Um, uh, tone is in the fingers. Tambor is in the gear. No, tone is not in the fingers. That's the whole, the entire point. Like I just, Tambor is in you guys should see how easy it is to mess with Dave. I, yeah, I'm just like I'm really fired up about a topic, and and then Jim like he, he just sits there and he's like he's like fuck you, fuck you, thank you. I'm just gonna mess with you now. He's like a little troll. Go eat some fucking billy goats. Give me twenty five dollars to cross my bridge. Fucking throw you under your bridge. You can live in a van down by the river. In a van down by the river. Anyway. Uh, so we have another topic lined up for tonight, submitted by, uh, someone close to the show. Um, we're going to be talking about the pig and a poke argument, which if you haven't listened to our episode, pig and a poke, you can go back and you can listen to that one. Um, pig and a poke, if you're not familiar with the terminology is buying something sight unseen. Um, Jim, you, you recently done this. You bought that Pelham blue SG, um, right. And we there were some questions about that guitar, but we're gonna be we're gonna be focusing instead of just like the broad part of the topic because we've already talked about that. We'll talk about players grade vintage guitar pieces, and yeah. really vintage guitars in general. So, Jim and I have been looking on Reverb, and we've seen a couple of different instruments. Um, and of course, you bought the that Pelham Blue SG, and um, yep. I've been looking at vintage stuff too. Um, and it seems to be that. There, there's a lot of disparity in prices in the vintage world. Oh, um, yeah. And as guitars get older, they go through lots of tiles of abuse. If you're looking at vintage Gibsons, there's often headstock breaks. Um, you can find guitars with the necks that have been have, that have had to have been steamed or removed and then maybe flattened or planed or something like that. You, you find that kind of stuff once you get to a guitar that's 30 to 40 years old. Yeah. Um, I guess we should probably step back and kind of define what vintage is. I say, I would say vintage is anything pre nineteen ninety. I would say so. I, anything that's older than twenty five years, we'd be getting into that uh, into that vintage thing. Now, so vintage does not mean good. I'm uh, I'm going to say that right now. There's a lot of right. old pieces of shit that people call vintage. <laughs> Even if they carry the moniker of Fender Stratocaster or Gibson Les Paul, there are shit guitars out there. Let me let me talk a little bit, um, and again, take it out of the guitar world for just a second. So let's say you were going to buy a new car, and <clears throat> this does happen, by the way. So um, you buy a new car, and it's about three months after a recent hurricane in the south. Oh, fuck that. Exactly. So if you're looking at, well, I shouldn't say new car, used car. So if you look at that, um, a lot of, uh, and even in the new car market, um, a lot of vehicles get flooded during yeah, I was gonna say, um, show me the water line. Yeah. And, and then they get dried out. The insurance company take them in and then, and then these um, fly by night sales places on the side of the road are selling them. Yeah. They, they usually um, they have so, a salvage title, but that's not always the case. Right. 
and you don't always know. And new car, if you think new cars are um, immune to that, you don't know that there's new car um, uh, lots that get flooded because there are, and it does yeah, happen. I mean, well, the classic case in the Midwest is uh, hail damage. Hailstorm yep. comes through, wait six weeks, and then you will see these cars at hugely discounted prices because the the damage is severe. So the question that you have to ask yourself again in the in the guitar market, there was a there was a flood um, that took out hundreds mm-hmm. of guitars in the Midwest, and there have been more uh, since then. Nashville, right? I'm just I'm just using that example. There was also um, Hurricane uh, Katrina. Thousands of guitars that were underwater there that were stolen, then sold, resold out of the market and put into um, in the hands. Point is. Um, a guitar's history is a questionable thing as it is. Um, and then you add um, the one, one of the ones that we were looking at today. Um, that what to you uh, it is where that looks great and what are you willing to pay for the object that you're about to get? Let's say you're looking at a, um, uh, let's say it's a, a 19, you're, you're uh your birth year is 1985. So you're looking for a 1985 guitar. Kareem Veretta. Um, let's, uh, yeah. So let's let's think. What would have been a good guitar in 1985? A Kramer Veretta. Okay, Kramer Um, I thought he was talking about the car for a second. Oh fuck so, that! That was, was not a good say, car. That was the 90s, and that was not a good car. But anyway, so let's say you were looking up a Kramer Veretta from 1985. Or um, let's, do let's, 80, let's do 84. It's my birth year, and I'm looking at one right now. There you go. All right. So there's going to be a bit of nostalgia for you because it was your birth year, right? Yep. You're, gonna, you're willing to put a little bit of money into that. Yeah, sure. Uh, be honest with you. So the one I'm looking at, it's on reverb right now. It's being sold by Emerald City Guitars, uh, which I believe is in Seattle, uh, which would go with Emerald City. Uh, it's a 1984 Kramer Beretta. At twenty four hundred, at twenty five hundred dollars plus seventy dollars shipping, um, nineteen eighty four Kramer Beretta, most iconic Kramer guitar, most notably played by Eddie Van Halen and one of the major players in the Super Strat craze. This is uh, this one is a one owner instrument in amazing all original condition with hardly any signs of wear. Plays beautiful and features a lightning fast slim neck profile. Floyd Rose tremolo bridge with locking nut and a single Shaler humbucker in the bridge position. Uh, absolutely rips, delivering an into-your-face punchy sound, killer guitar for heavy rock tones. Includes the original case. So, this is a prime example right here. This is not a player's grade piece. This is a collector's grade piece. Because when you look at this guitar, there is... It, I mean, this thing went in somebody's bedroom and stayed in a case and never... Are you came, looking at the white one? Yeah. It never came out. Nope. That thing that looks gorgeous. That's day one new. Yeah. I mean, like, there's not even any pick scratches in this thing. Not from what nope. I can tell in the pictures. Nope, just typical paint aging. Yeah, so $2,500 does not mm-hmm. seem insane for, for you know, this specific thing. I would say I think that's probably still $500 too expensive because these don't nope. have a tremendous collector's market. They do have a collector's market, but mm-hmm. not the kind of collector's market that this guy does. Now, if we scroll down in the listings... There is a 1987, 1988, which they call flip flop. I don't know what that means, but they went seven thousand uh-huh. dollars for that for a Kramer Beretta from the eighties. Yep. I, I mean, yes, I don't care if it has 
rare features or anything like that, that's insanely expensive. Yep. Unless this is a custom shop guitar, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No. Um, and so this is where I want to go with this. First factor is age, right? Like how old is the guitar you're buying? If you're buying a guitar from the eighties, I can't honestly see paying more than two grand for something. I don't care no. what it is because it, for one thing, it's not nitro. So the finish is not going to look aged or anything like that. You're not paying anything for aesthetic really. Um, mm. Other than maybe scratches, dents, dings. Um, you know, maybe the parts are desirable. Maybe they're not. There were a lot of guitars in the eighties using licensed Floyd road, Floyd Rose systems because the real Floyd roses were not, available to everybody i believe fender had the the uh contract for that for a while um some some people were still doing aftermarket on that stuff uh you'll see a lot of guitars in that period to have swapped out hardware because they got a licensed floyd and then they put the real deal in there um and i guess that's kind of where i'm going with it if it once you get into players grade territory like then you're looking at dense dings you're looking at pickware you're looking at swapped yep. electronics and hardware on, on, on an 80s era piece you go to the 70s era then you're looking at you're going to start looking at things like neck repairs and you're yep. going to add a thousand dollars to the price tag if not fifteen hundred dollars but my point is there's got to be a line of demarcation where when you're looking at a vintage guitar you say it's this is three thousand dollars or thirty five hundred dollars market value it's had a neck repair, meaning either the headstock broke or you had to remove it from the heel. And then you've got like um, non-original pickups, which is always a problem on these guitars, like like a Gibson, you know, that kind of deal. Um, and how much of the guitar is deviated from what, what your perception of the guitar is going to be like. And then to get back to the pick and a poke argument is I, that's got to count for something in what you're going to pay for it. That's exactly what I was going to get to. So. Let's say um, you want that 1984 Kramer. Have you ever played one? I have played a couple of Berettas, not from that year, though. Okay. So this is what I would say if Dave was to come with, come to me and say, hey, Jim, is this worth this? I would, I would say to him straight up, if you haven't felt that neck, you don't really know if that's the gear that you want. If you haven't had that guitar around your neck, uh, there's a, um, I'll give you a prime example. So at church, I play a um, Stratocaster. Typically, I would think, Okay, Stratocaster, lighter than my Les Paul, and Depends. not this one. Oh, my God. Yeah, mine's this a thing, brick. This thing weighs a ton. It's horrible. And it's, um, uh, the neck is okay, um, but not the neck that I you yeah. know, envision with a Stratocaster. So um, if, if he was to say to me, if the, if the pastor was saying to me, hey, Jim, do you want to buy my Strat? I would really kind of have to pleasantly decline um so uh it's it's one of those things where you've really got to know the guitar that you're looking at so if you're if you're looking for let's say you want a 75 um sg or a, a 61 sg let's say it was 61 sg those are rare okay now you you are paying for a rarity because there aren't a lot of them because they don't say sg on them they say les paul right yeah you're paying for ex- at rarity exclusivity Yep. which is which they're not mutually exclusive. No. Um and you're paying for implied value of parts in some of the guitars too. It's like when you right. get into 61, 
you're talking about, you know, the 59 style pickups, the PAFs, and yeah. those go for what, like 500 bucks a piece on the open yeah. market. So there yeah, you go. There's the half, you know, there's like 30 year value or whatever you're going to pay for it. I think, I yeah. think uh, 61 SGs are going for upwards of 10 K now though. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was just looking at um, that one. Yeah. The big guard ones are a lot cheaper. And yeah. to be honest with you, they're less problems. Yep. So, yep. That I wish that wasn't the case, but it's true. So if, um, uh, let's say that I wanted to get one, uh, because you know, that would be for me, that would be an historical piece, not necessarily because I was born that way or anything, just an historical piece that I would want to put away. So I would be purchasing it not as a player's guitar, but as a piece. So I'm going to want something that looks as good as possible because I'm going to put it in glass, put it away, right? But if I was looking for a player's one, I would probably just go reissue. Yeah. Or, well, I mean, I would look for a headstock break, go reissue. Yeah, I mean, there's or, like, got yeah. a lot of options. Or one, right, or one with a headstock break. Now, if somebody, and here's what we were, we were talking about earlier today. Somebody puts one up and it's had a, it's had a neck replacement or a headstock break and they want almost, you know, full value. What would be considered full value. You need to you need to realize that you know what I'm going to wait, move on, and and find one that eventually will come up and it's I'll get it, it. It's that, and it's also the realization that um, you as a player have not had hands on this instrument, and so right. unless you have some sort of a rock solid guarantee, because I mean when you're talking players grade, that's more expensive than a guitar. Like even even then, is more expensive than its counterpart, new production guitar in most cases. Right. And right. so you're buying it for the mojo. And then when you get it in and you're like, oh, the truss rod won't turn or, you yeah. know, there's something else. The, the neck rattles. I've seen that before, too. Um, or the, the hardware is not original. Right. Um, so if you're not somebody that can work on their own guitars, it's like buying an old car. You better be able to if return it. That's right. If you can't work on your own guitars. Um, and here's the other thing. So let's say you're um, let's say I say, you know what? I'm going to buy that 1961 um, Les Paul, uh, which is a SG. Yeah. And so I, I contact the person and we do some negotiating, um, and they send me the guitar. Here's the other thing I better be able to do. Know whether or not it's fake. Cause let me tell you, Keith Richards guitar has been sold many times and Keith Richards never sold his guitar. It's a 54 Les Paul or a 55. Yeah. One of his, one of his old Les Pauls, um, has been sold several times and his has never actually left his side. The, what they're selling has been fakes. So they're out there and they get a premium price tag. We're not talking about two or $3,000 fake. We're talking about a $15,000 fake. Yeah. When we go back, there's an episode we did uh, where we talked about Ed Roman and the tone King and stuff. And I think I mentioned the, the, the story or anecdote that Ed Roman had, which is that, yeah, I made a lot of 59s. Because yeah. he was making them in his shop, counterfeiting them, putting them on the roof to age them, and then putting them downstairs when they were appropriately yellowed, and selling them for you know whatever they were going for at the time. And when you when you stop and you think about that for a minute, yeah, any Fender or Gibson from that era could be knocked off. That's right, um, and it's easier to knock those guitars off. Like nowadays, there are so many different damn models of Stratocaster it's hard to get all of the details right. And you can look that the Chinese companies are trying um, and they're, they're doing a half-assed job of it. Um, right. 
even the Chipsons are the same way. So, I mean, like, um, when you, when you go and you try to examine whether you're willing to take that risk, just bear in mind that this has been a thing long before Chinese guitars existed. Long before. Um, in fact, uh, and I've, Flash's, I, Flash's famous Les Paul is a knockoff. There, there's, um, yeah, well, his not a knockoff. He had it built for him, but, uh, Mm-hmm. He's a ghost builder. That's a whole other thing. Um, if you don't know, and I forget who the, who the builder was, there's a guy that used to live in in San Diego on the beach, and he would build guitars for for famous players. And Les Paul heard, or not Les Paul, Slash heard about him through somebody else, and decided he wanted a Les Paul built to the old like '59 spec. So he went to this guy and paid him. Now the thing where it gets quasi legal. Is the guy's putting Gibson on the headstock. That, that's what I was about to say. It's it's still. I mean, I'm not saying that it isn't a good fake. It's still a fake. Well, it's no. a fake Gibson. It's a real guitar. The guy built for real. But the difference in America. But the difference built, between counterfeit and replica is is great there because yeah, like if you buy from Ed Roman, if you went to his shop back in the 70s and you right, bought you one of those been for something, you would not said, know. He never told right. you that that's what it was. That's right. Now, he didn't. Right. Shocking statistic. 59 Les Pauls. It is definitely the most knocked off guitar in, in history. But yep. there are more than double in circulation than were actually produced. Yep. And I've read that num- I've read that in various places. So keep that in mind. Stratocasters, standard yeah, strats, they're it? getting 50, knocked off all the time. What is it? 54 strats or 56 strats that are the big... Yeah, it's, probably it's a mid fifties. Um, I would model. say it's like a fifty-seven, but the fifty-seven, 57 is okay. really, really popular. But yeah, and then of course you're nineteen sixty. Yeah, sixty, sixty-one, sixty-two. Yep, and that goes with that Johan video. But um, the reality is this: any vintage piece could be knocked off. I think you, as you get into the fringe companies like Univox and people like that you're probably a lot light, less likely to get burned. Um, right. And it not, may not necessarily be burned. Look, there are people that know they have knocked off guitars and they're, and they're really good. Like right. you were talking about slash. There's a perfect example. He still uses the appetite for destruction. Les Paul. Absolutely. Um, and it's an excellent Les Paul. Again, like you said, you can call it, you can call it whatever you want. It's still a knockoff. Right. Right. So, um, just keep that in mind if you're if you're looking at players grade vintage. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is that this has become a very popular market for the, uh, the trendy retailers like Chicago Music Exchange, and they jack their prices up accordingly. So, so. Um, I've seen guitars listed there for as much as a thousand dollars over what Blue Book would be. Yeah. So, and there is no real Blue Book. Let's face it. The the there, um, well, there is the a Blue Book. Blue but we, it's book. not that accurate. Right, the blue book of guitars is how much are people willing to pay for it? The blue book of guitars is now eBay and completed listings and sales. Yeah, and it gets a lot more, and it gets a lot more gray when you're looking at vintage stuff. Yeah. Um. So bear that in mind. I I think this the sharp deal if you're looking for stuff now, '90s Les Pauls and '90s SGs. Yeah. They're cheap and they're decent. Um, Yep. I don't know that I would buy anything from the 2000s, um, but I think the prices on the 90s stuff are starting to go up. I think people are clued in now. Um, 
I remember a time when you could get a '90s like SG for like 750, 800 bucks. Now they're now they're pushing a thousand, I think. So, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, uh, I'm looking one up right now. Yeah, give us some give us some up to date pricing info, Jim. So um, ninety four. Well, yeah. ninety four works. Okay, so a uh, standard a uh, Gibson SG standard from the nineties. Yeah. Uh, six seventy five. That's not bad. At uh, uh, eight hundred dollars. Yeah. That's. And yeah. there's one nineteen ninety for fifteen hundred. I think that's yeah, a little high. Yeah, that's not. No, nobody's going to be doing that one. But but right around a grand between between six hundred and a grand is probably where I would expect to be. But the but the difference is the cheaper ones. I have the big, uh, the big guard versus small guard. Big guard, and, and that's the other one has a small guard. And and you know what? There's some truth to that. If you guys are into SGs, the big guard versus small guard. The the argument, of course, is the pickup rings actually hold the pickup at the right position for the strings. Yep. They do sound slightly different. The big guards yep. actually sound a little bit more, I would say, acoustic to me. Um, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's because the the pickups. So the rings are more like a direct mount. Um, they have, they retain a little bit more of the, uh, the treble response of like a direct mount pickup. Whereas putting them in a big guard like that, they don't, they don't, they don't resonate the same. It, it takes yeah. off some of the treble. Yeah. It's hard to believe that there's that few, uh, nineties, um, Les Pauls. Well, they're out there. They're just not for sale on reverb right now. Well, that's what I mean. I think a lot of this one. stuff's already ending up in the hands of collectors. And yeah, you know, that's another thing that drives me nuts is uh, the players grade vintage now is becoming the, the throwback guitars. The ones that um, just got beat to hell, went through a war and they're still out there um, because the collector's market is such a big deal. Even now that people are literally buying up these guitars, throwing them in cases and sticking them in vaults. Yeah. And we've already learned at this point, the collectors great, you know, the collectors are not making money off these instruments. This is, this is just a pure, fantasy myth that you're going to buy a guitar and then somehow make thousands of dollars on it in five years. Um, it is. I mean, the market just doesn't move that fast unless it's something like, uh, you know, 59 Les Paul, but, um, even then it's slowing. Yeah. They, they haven't really increased in value in quite some time. So, yeah. I mean, they've been $150,000 roughly for quite a while. Um, probably almost the entire time I've been playing guitar. So, um, I think some of them go for a little bit more. Some of them go for a little bit less. And that's condition, 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 condition. I can't say that enough. Absolutely. The condition Absolutely. should be determining what you pay. And I'm the guy like when, when, when somebody asks me, what does this cost? You know? And I look it up online and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'd be say about this, but I don't look at the ad and like, look at the condition of it. And it's, it, it, I end up looking like an idiot. Cause I'm like, well, that was a neck repair. So really it should probably be two to 300 less, you know, Jeez. Yeah, depending on yeah, depending on the year and the and what it and you're is, gonna, you're looking at a percentage off right there. I mean, a good percentage off, and it depends. I mean, if it's a if it's a Stratocaster and you've had a neck replacement, yeah, then it's a different year. Good. Well, but if you that's the that's the other thing is so we were talking about Gibsons and we've been looking at it from that angle. If you go look at vintage uh, fenders and replacement parts, you don't know how many of those vintage fenders are parts guitars to begin with. Absolutely. And many of them are where like somebody had a body laying around in the eighties and then they threw their 59 neck on it, you know? And then yep. they're like, Oh, this is a 59. And then you take it apart and you look at the date stamps 
And you're like, what the fuck? Like, this isn't what I paid for. Exactly. Um, but if you look at uh, um, some of your most famous strats, they've got those replacement necks. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, like Clapton's, I think it's Blackie. The, Clapton's was, uh, Gilmore's no, was. His whole, his whole guitar, well, this is Gilmore's. Uh, his whole guitar was a parts guitar, like pickups and yeah. all. Um, Gilmore? Yeah, no, uh, Clapton. And then, Clapton, of course, yeah. of course, Gilmore, I think Gilmore's neck swaps on the, on yep. the black strat. Um, and he swapped it more than once. Yeah. I think, well, so I think he, well, he swapped to the, the Rosewood or whatever. And I think he went back to Maple and he's got Maple on it now, but I think that, that he's put the same Maple neck on it several times. Yep. That's what people have talked about over the years is like, he had a Rosewood on there for a while and then he went back to Maple. No rhyme or reason for, for us to know why. I mean, if we had a conversation with him, we could ask that question, but which, which that's another thing. When Fender does these repro guitars, and these stories start coming out like why can't Fender actually talk to David Gilmore and be like, why did you swap next? Right. It seems why? like they want to keep that mythos alive. And and I've seen it with other guitar players like like Ingve when they did the play loud strat. They didn't they didn't ask him, like, what's the deal with this with the with the duck, you know, a sticker the the uh, Donald Duck sticker. Like. Yeah, the Ferrari thing we get. He's a Ferrari collector. But Donald Duck, like, well, what's that on there for? Yeah, exactly. Um, that's a good That's a good question. They, I, I just, I, I, and they don't ask those questions. I think it's almost like, well, if we do that, then that kind of reveals the mystery, you know? Um, so, anyway, uh, we're reaching one hour, Jim. I think it's time to, uh, to wrap things up. Um, yeah. It's been good tonight. I really enjoy talking about vintage stuff and we probably should do this more often and we've got um, some exciting stuff coming down the pipe if you guys so want to share vintage tuned. ads in the group of things that make you drool yeah we can, we can look at the value of them and kind of do our do our practical assessment yes. and uh, that would be a kind of a cool segment for the show so if you guys want to do the that practical um, assessment tag yeah. us and we'll, we'll talk so uh with that all being equal um again uh Hearts are out for the tra- uh, the tragedy that Jim discussed earlier in the show. Um, you know, yeah, awful, abysmal, awful, abysmal, horrible thing. 18, 18 people were in that limo and they all died. Yeah. I can't even Two others. I can't even yep. yep. All right. Terrible thing. So um, on that sour, dour note, um, yep. I've been David tonight. I've been Jim tonight. And uh, we're the Practical Guitars. Tonight. Yep. Have a good one. Tonight, tonight, tonight. Tonight, tonight. Tonight, tonight. Oh. tonight, tonight.